Hey guys, and welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and joining me today to break down the last three games against Winnipeg and the upcoming series against Vancouver, it is Derek Lee. Uh, you can hear him on the, he's the co-host of the Sens Hour podcast, as well as a writer for New Era Sens. Derek, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? Alex, thanks for having me on, man. I'm doing terrific. I'm on holidays right now, so enjoying some time on, or some time off, <laughs> With whatever that ends up looking like in today's world, it's uh, literally doing a whole lot of nothing at home, but uh, I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm just uh, going through the school week as per usual. And you know what? It's uh, obviously no, there's not really an ideal time to have a vacation during a pandemic, but hey, for you, at least you get the uh, you get the week off that Ottawa's out west and they're they're playing a bunch of 10 p.m. games. So at least you, you uh, have a reason to stay up for those if you don't have to get up to work the next day. And that's got to be pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. My uh, my daughter's doing some virtual school learning stuff. So uh, so we still have to get up a little bit early and the 10 p.m. starts. I mean, I'm not fond of them, but uh, obviously, you know, as diehard Sense fans, we're staying up and watching you know whatever it ends up being anyway so i'll be i'll be watching it and live tweeting like i always do <laughs> yeah me too i mean i we got we're recording on a monday it'll be this podcast will probably be out this afternoon but uh tonight we got a 10 p.m game and then there, i got a class at 8 30 tomorrow and i'm not looking forward cool. to it but uh that is what it is at least the, the um the league is nice enough that when they're on these road trips not every game's at 10 p.m they got an 8 p game 8 p.m game on wednesday which is 5 p.m. local time in Vancouver. I'm sure they love that. But uh, uh, <laughs> lots to talk about over this past week, you know. Um, the the Sens dropped three in a row to the Winnipeg Jets, getting one point out of a possible six. Uh, an overall pretty disappointing outcome, just considering what uh, – you kind of looked you know, going into the series with this mini series with the Jets and the Jets were kind of struggling to start the year. And it was like, this is, this is maybe a, maybe potential to take some points. You know, Patrick line wasn't playing cause he was hurt. And then a blockbuster trade comes down Saturday and uh, Ottawa just kind of disappointed. You know, the first game was, I thought they dominated for, you know, 95% of the game and just fell asleep in the third period. And, and uh, we'll, we'll start with that, you know, a four, three loss. And, and after, after the game, DJ Smith really, rattled a lot of feathers with his quotes where he said, uh, we're playing like a young team. We're playing to score and not to defend. And, uh, you know, the reality of it is I think in the, the game tying goal he had, I believe it was Coburn or no, good Branson, Anisimov and Paquette all on the ice. I think at the same time, trying to defend a, a, a three, two lead. So, um, give me your thoughts on that game. We'll start with, and just, you know, the, the comments afterwards. You know, I thought the game, first off, the game was terrific. I mean, that's the best I've seen this version of the Sens play. And even, you know, if you consider last year and probably the year before, that's the best I've seen them play in a long time. They really controlled possession of the puck. They dictated the pace of the play. I thought their neutral zone was terrific. And again, we're talking about 95% of the game. And then, of course, you know, you have that last minute collapse um, with the veteran players on the ice and and like you alluded to that you know that odd kind of quote at the end from DJ Smith suggesting that you know it was young mistakes that cost them the game that was uh, that was an interesting quote um, it definitely ruffled some feathers I mean there's a lot of people right now you know comparing DJ Smith to he Boucher and I don't think we're close to uh, to there yet. But, uh, but it's something to keep an eye on. You know, some of the roster decisions have been interesting, to say the least, I guess, early on in the season. 
But at the same time, we are early in the season and everything right now, I think, is under a microscope. And I think we forget about that a little bit. You know, the Senators before this, they haven't played 310 days. So as fans, I think we just forgot about the fact that the first like 10 games of the season, everyone puts every little move under a microscope. But, you know, as the season progresses, we're going to see that less and less. Overall, the series against Winnipeg, I thought it was good. I mean, despite the fact that they took one point out of a possible six points, and obviously in the standings, it didn't reflect well. I thought overall the play was good with the exception of the second game. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, the first game, they there's just no way that they deserve to come out with less than two points there. I mean, even with, you know, the mistake at the end or whatever, they just, they controlled that entire game, right? And um, yeah, the second game was ugly. And the third game, I thought um, it could have gone either way. It got out of hand in the third period, but I, I thought the first 40 were pretty strong. And, um, you know, we'll get into some of the trends. And yeah, I, I've noticed a lot of Boucher to um, DJ Smith comparisons too. And while... I don't want to say there's truth. Like it's there's similarities in terms of both coaches kind of got to play with old veterans that aren't very good um, that they really seem to like. And I think the, the, the similarity there is that Pierre Dorian has done nothing to take away those toys from, from either one of the coaches, you know, and that's been the biggest issue, but in terms of just like an on ice play um, yeah, the Suns team isn't playing real well. And there's a huge gap between their expected goals of course he four, but uh Guy Boucher did that with a team that had Mark Stone, Mike Hoffman, Eric Carlson, among others on it. Um, you know, I like, I really like some of the pieces. Brady Kachuk's amazing. Obviously, you know, Dadanov, he's been a little disappointing so far, but he's played pretty well, I thought. Um, but there's just no, there's nowhere close to as much talent right now on that team as the 2017 or 2018 Ottawa teams had. So just the, the, the insane talent gap from coach to coach, I don't think is fair to compare, compare them to. And yeah, you know what? I, I'm already getting frustrated with DJ Smith stuff too, but it's been five games. So, you know, I, I do want to give it a little bit longer. Um, you know, I, I definitely think it's way too early for the, any of the um, fire the coach stuff, you know, and it just, you don't, you don't get anything good at a firing a coach five games in the season. If you're firing him five games into a season, he wasn't the right guy to be going into the season with anyways. Now, Maybe someone argues that, but I, I don't think he's been given enough of a leash to do that. But yeah, for the series, you know, like I just um, it's been disappointing because it, it feels like a trend over the first five games here where I've really liked a lot of the um, skilled young rosters play, you know, like um, I, I thought Josh Norris really after, you know, you you had mentioned he's re, he struggled in the first couple of games. I thought that was fair, but I thought he had a really good bounce back series here. He looked really good on uh, the first game. And, you know, even in the last two games, his that Brady uh, Norris and um, Batherson line, like led and expected goals every game. So, you know, it, it's really encouraging from that standpoint, but it's just what's frustrating for Sens fans is it's the same names over and over that seem to be making the mistakes and the names that we know are not very good. Yeah, that is the frustrating part. And it's even more frustrating, I guess, when your your coach steps up to the podium afterwards and, and claims it was young mistakes when in fact it was, you know, some of the guys that are kind of holding some other young players back in terms of, you know, playing time on the team. And, you know, one one player in particular that people are really frustrated that hasn't been able to remain in the lineup so far as Colin White. I mean, how much of that do you pin on Colin White, the player, just maybe not having a great offseason or a great training camp? And how much of that is on DJ Smith's sort of reluctance to scratch a Nisimov or maybe someone like Paquette? And, uh, you know, that that's sort of where the frustrations are right now. 
Another player is Christian Willannon, who I think, you know, most people agree is probably the best offensive option on the blue line outside of Thomas Chabot. So there's a couple of decisions there that are irking people early, but, uh, but we do emphasize the fact that it's early. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just, yeah, I I've said a bunch of times with Colin White, there's no way he's not a top 12 forward on this team. I'm sorry. There's just, there's no way, you know, like, and, um, We'll see if he gets a chance, I guess, because, you know, and the thing that confused me more is if he had just a horrendous offseason and he came in at a brutal training camp, I would at least be more willing to accept that, I think, you know, but during all of training camp, all DJ Smith had to say was good things about the guy. So it's like, okay, well then how is he sitting over these guys? We know are barely NHL players, you know, like Michael Haley draw, draws into the lineup for game three against Winnipeg there. And he spent under five minutes of ice time, I think total. And in, you know, Ottawa dominates the first 10 minutes of that game. They had, it was looking like the first game again. They had four amazing chances, including two from Christian Milan and, um, and, you know, another one for Bathurst and Dadanoff hits the post. They're just all over the Jets. Michael Haley gets on the ice and fights. Uh, I don't even know who he fought. Oh, Beaulieu, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Nathan Beaulieu. Again, and yeah. <laughs> the, the game just dies. And, you know, again, I'm not a huge on, I don't think that fights change momentum in favor for a team. So I'm not going to act like Haley killed all the momentum for Ottawa either, but I just thought there was no real point in that fight. You know, there was, there was nothing in the game that dictated you need to go out and throw the, drop the gloves with anyone. And it was just, honestly, it was one of the most pathetic fights I've ever seen. They just kind of tangled with each other for 45 seconds, but I, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, that's kind of a lineup decision that like, I can't, I can't, I, I just can't defend because, you know, his excuse was, oh, it's going to be a tougher game. It's like, okay, well, if it's a tougher game, why do we have Coburn, Goodbranson, Watson, and Paquette all in the lineup if we also need Haley? You know, like one or two of them, maybe three or four, I don't think we need five. We definitely don't need, especially when the fifth is Michael Haley. Like, it's just that's the frustrating thing. You know, if you want to defend Austin Watson because he's got a little bit of high up, upside. Sure, I'm going to probably disagree, but there's an argument there. Michael Haley brings nothing to a team in, in 2021, and it's just it's little things like that where it's like you're starting to wonder if it could be the difference between a couple points in the standings, which in this North division that is so clouded right now uh, would go a long way, honestly. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's tooth and nail kind of thing in this division. It's very close right now, and it's going to be close for, you know, the remainder of the start of, of these games. And yeah, it's, it's those decisions that frustrate people that people can't really wrap their heads around. I mean, I think we all agree that Michael Haley is no longer an NHL player. I mean, period. Um, we also have to, you know, remind ourselves of the fact that Rudy Balsers is now a member of the San Jose Sharks because Pierre Dorian just brought in too many bodies and they refused to sit some of these veteran players. So I mean, who wouldn't rather have Balsers in the lineup over some of these players as well? So uh, it, it is frustrating to see some of these decisions. You're losing some of your young players. And then, you know, a player like Logan Brown, even who came in and personally, I wanted to see get a real opportunity here at the start, uh, whether he deserved it or not. I don't know. I mean, that's uh, that's another question for another day. But um, but Logan Brown, I mean, who wouldn't want to see even Logan Brown over someone like Derek Stepan, who's made a couple of glaring, glaring mistakes here. And I won't say he's been bad because at times he's been a, a pretty serviceable player, I would say. Um, but certainly I would prefer a guy like Logan Brown, who's young with skill in the top six versus a guy like Derek Stepan. 
Yeah, and I think with someone, especially like Rudolph Balsers, the, the thing that frustrated me the most is just they lost him without getting an asset back. You know, like if you determine there's just not enough room for him, sure, you know, whatever. But like try and flip him somewhere, you know, like if that was your plan all offseason, you didn't think there was going to be room, flip him somewhere because you just lost an actual like decently valuable asset. Not obviously, It's not the end of the world, but like you, you lost an asset. You probably could have got a fifth or sixth round pick for him. And I get that's not the, it's not the hugest thing, but just little things like that, especially when you're already using picks to go in and bring in his replacement. Just, I, I think they would add up. And um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where um, it's not like he's, by any means killing it. I don't think in San Jose, I, I don't think he's point per game or anything, but it's just like, yeah, as he said, it would have been a nice guy to see instead of, you know, I, I've been really hard on Cedric Paquette this year. And I just, I really don't see why he is still dressing every night. Um, you know, you mentioned Stepan. Um, yeah. I didn't like that trade either. I thought Stepan's been good. Um, you know, he, he took, he made a stupid, he had a stupid penalty in that third game and he took credit for it. And you know, that I, I don't get frustrated by that as much because, you know, at least Derek Stepan is, I can see his role. He's helping the young guys, you know, um, and he play, he has played well, you know, I don't think he's been bad, but um, it's just, it is still just mistakes like that where it's like, okay, we're bringing in valuable assets from multiple of these guys and multiple of these guys are having to say, say the same thing at the end of the game because they're the ones screwing up. It's like, it just, it's one of those things that compile on itself so much and it, one or two of them fine, but three or four of them, it's like, ah, this is just way too much. Absolutely. It, it's, it was a bit of a frustrating series that way, I think, because we're starting to learn, you know, really we're starting to learn who DJ Smith is as a coach. I mean, if we all agree again, that last year was more of a buy for him. It was a preseason. It was more about player development. And he even, you know, said it himself. It was about creating a work ethic within the group and getting everyone to buy into kind of working hard. But this year, people are going to be analyzing the systems a lot more. They're going to be looking for improvements on the power play, which I think, you know, we've seen glimpses of so far. Um, but the penalty kill was god-awful last year. That has to improve. And, you know, part of that, DJ Smith is saying, you know, Paquette is in the lineup for his penalty-killing abilities. But we've yet to see the Ottawa penalty kill really improve from where it was last year. So, you know, that speaks to some of that frustration. Um, and kind of reluctance to move some of these veteran guys out of the lineup in place of some younger players that I think we think could make more of an impact offensively. Um, and then you could use, you know, kind of what's left defensively to come up with a, a better system around that PK. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about from this series uh, and, and wanted to talk about with you to get your perspective on it, Alex, is the goaltending situation. So, you know, Matt Murray's numbers so far through the first four games, he's played four of the five, have not been good. I mean, we can agree on the numbers, but but what do you think about his play so far? Is it too early to suggest he's just the goalie he was last year? I think so, yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you brought this up because, uh, you know, we had a listener question too about, uh, you know, some forward and D lineups have been beaten to death. This is from uh, the Logue father is what is his handle is on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, D yeah. Logue father. Um, would yep. you like to see more Hogbert only one start in first five games? I think it goes along with it. And I think it is too early to say that Murray's the goalie we saw last year. You know, he had a bunch of time off as well. Um, it's, I go, it's not encouraging to see his numbers to start, but you go back and look at a lot of them and, there's off the top of my head in the four games, there's probably only two or three goals. I, I really think Murray should have had like really, really, obviously there's a few where it's like, yes, if you have an elite level goalie, he's going to stop that. But 
a lot of it has been like, man, Matt Murray just, you know, he hasn't been bailed out by at all by his defense. And some of it's on the, the PK as well. I, I glad you, I'm glad you brought that up too, because the, the system for it's been trash. They just all collapse the net and just let guys absolutely wire slot shots. It's like, well, what's your goalie supposed to do about that? You know? So I, I think that it is too early to give up on Matt Murray, but that being said, I still would have liked to see Marcus Hogberg get a shot earlier than five games in. And I, I still hope he gets another shot because the other thing is Hogberg hasn't played in 320 days, I guess it would have been before his first start. Right. Like, um, so it's one of those things where it's definitely too early to, you know, give up, you know, five games of any goalie is a small sample or four games or whatever. But at the same time, it's like it, 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 the same idea of getting all your players in to get their feet underneath them. It should be the same for a goalie because, you know, I don't know about you, but with the Hogberg start, I didn't think he played bad on Saturday night, but there was one or two where it was like, yeah, if he has played in the last 320 days, he probably doesn't let that goal in, you know? So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. I, I would assume we see Murray go tonight, Murray go Wednesday and Hogberg Thursday. Just like, I don't see Murray going back to back again, but um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't think Murray has played um, as bad as the numbers suggest. But that being said, I, I still want to see a mix of both goalies to start the year here. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. I think it's too early to judge, you know, Murray for the play so far. And exactly what you said. I mean, some of the backbreaking goals that have went in have been not Murray's fault whatsoever. I mean, it's just you're talking about layers of traffic because the gap control is so weak on the penalty kill and everyone is collapsing in towards that net. I mean, and, and just kind of it, it feels like you're waiting for the goal to go in a, a lot of the time. So, I mean, that's been frustrating. I thought Murray... He, he made a few saves as well that could have easily been goals and uh, and Hochberg as well when he started last game. So the chances that Ottawa's giving up, I mean, we expected them to be glaring chances, you know, 10 bell chances in front of the net. And they've been there for sure. So, I mean, with the exception of maybe a handful of goals between Murray and Hochberg combined that we would want back, maybe less than a handful it's been, you know, goaltending really hasn't been the issue, despite the save percentage numbers, you know, they're both really low for these guys. It, it really is, you have to look deeper and you have to look at the quality of chances that the Senators are surrendering. And yeah, they've been pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, if this trend continues over the course of the year, it's like, yeah, you probably want to see a little more from your goalies because, um, at the same time, like you look at uh, evolving hockey released their, their data early in the year. And again, I, I try not to use too or put too much stock into it because I, I cannot express how small of a sample size four games is for anyone, but especially goaltending, but you know, it's right now, you know, Hogbury is a minus one goal saved above average and uh, Murray's around minus two and a half. Um, so, you know, if those can continue over a 20, 25, 30 game sample, yes, then that's very, very concerning. But, you know, just right now, I, I think there'll be a game where we see Murray really steal a point and, uh, you know, a point or two really, you know, where it's like, okay, Ottawa did not deserve to win that game, but they did because Murray just didn't let anything up. And, you know, it's coming. I, I have uh, no doubt about it, but uh, it's one of those things where um, they really, you know, like the PK has been the biggest, one of the biggest issues for me. You know, I, I thought they've looked, better in their own end a lot this year. There's still some times where they get scrambling, but just generally speaking, I, I feel like last year we saw every other shift. It felt like uh, they would get hemmed into their own end. And as soon as they get hemmed in they're everywhere, I don't see that personally as much at five on five so far to start the year, but uh, the, the penalty kill has just been like, 
I just, there's no words for it. Like, it's just, if I don't know what the penalty kill coach is doing right now, I believe it's Jack uh, Capu, Capuano who, who's coaching it, but like, what, what is he doing right now? Because they're just standing in a little bit of a square and collapsing on the net. And as you said, it's like, we're literally waiting for a goal to go in like that, that game time goal against Winnipeg in game three, they were just waiting to get scored on. It just, it, there's no other answer. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree there. I think it's a systems issue. And you know what? We've seen a huge systems flaw when it comes to the power play right at the start of the season. I mean, everyone was talking about that awful drop pass um, in the neutral zone that they were doing on their breakout, and they just couldn't get into the zone. And then when they were in the zone, finally, they were very stagnant. They weren't moving the puck around. And it looked like last year's power play, but then all of a sudden in this Jet series, that changed. I mean, the, the power play is the one area where I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, this is an improved team uh, as well as the five on five play, but the power play specifically, you could see a huge uh, jump in puck possession. I mean, it looked like more structured and the, the breakout and the zone entries looked clean, especially when it was Drake Batherson carrying the puck across the line. But uh, you know, the same thing has to happen with the penalty kill right now. Cause, cause as we're talking about, it is looking awful and it's looking very predictable and good teams with weapons and at basically every team in this North division, they have weapons. So, I mean, a team like the Jets, Kyle Connor is just unbelievable when it comes to the power play, Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler. I mean, the list goes on. We're going to see the same thing in Vancouver. It's got to be addressed because right now it's a complete mess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's got to be one of those things where if they don't fix it, it's going to kill them all year. And, you know, um, I've been on the fence. You know, I, I want to see this team do good. But at the same time, another high pick is not the worst thing in the world. But um, they got to be getting that high pick because they're doing it the right ways, you know. And just continue losing from the same thing over and over and over and over again isn't the right way. You know, if it's young guys learning how to play in the league properly and just, you know, making young mistakes, you know, on, on the, um, the uh, I think it was the the goal that made it four, three for Winnipeg on, on Saturday night. Um, Anisimov turns the puck over in the corner. Shabbat gets absolutely walked. And then Branson gets caught puck looking. Two of those things make me extremely mad. And it's the Anisimov and Gabranson thing, because they're brought in not to do that, to do the exact opposite of that, you know, Shabbat. Yes, it sucks. You want to see him improve on that, but I will, if Otto is losing because Shabbat produced a bunch offensively and then just unfortunately turned a stupid puck over at the end of the game. I will take that 10 times out of 10. Then Anisimov turning the puck over good Branson puck watching three different times and step on flipping the puck over the glass or something, you know? So um, it's one of those things where, you know, you want to see them improve, but it's got to be everyone improving too. And, you know, because just losing, losing a ton of games year after year after year doesn't bring a uh, good culture to anyone either. But, you know, um, that being said, let's get in a little bit of a few of the positives because I don't think it was all negative from this series. Um, you know, as we mentioned, the first game against Winnipeg was really strong. Second game was uh, the opposite of that, really bad. And the, the third game was mixed. I thought the first half was amazing. I thought they dominated. And the second half, they just went to sleep and kind of got dominated. So, um, you know, one of the biggest, uh, maybe the biggest plus so far this year, uh, Nikita Zaitsev looks like an NHL defenseman. And, a pretty good one at that so far, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. It's five games, but like, he has shocked me just with like, 
even small things that he's doing that he did not do last year. You know, like there's little times where it's like he looks up and last year he would have fired a grenade up the middle. This year it's a it's a chip off the boards to the winger sitting wide open who taps it up and the rush is going the other way. He's he's getting his head up. He's shooting a little more. You know, his points are unsustainable just the way they're coming. But the fact that he's just getting the puck through and on net is a massive upgrade to last year where he would bomb a puck into the shin pads of the opponent or something like that. Nikita Zaitsev has been a huge plus for me, and I was not expecting to say that five games into the year. Yeah, that's got to be the biggest mind-blowing surprise so far is that Zaitsev is actually kind of living up to the contract. Um, It's way too early to say that. Obviously, we're five games in. We see a small sample, but even the underlying numbers, you know, you look at his Corsi numbers and some of those advanced stats, Nikita Zaitsev's been the best Sens defenseman. I mean, bar none this season and that's not something we ever would have said before the season coming in and it's exactly what you said Alex I mean he's not making the play any more complicated than it has to be Um, and at the same time he's using his head a lot more he's thinking the play through a lot more and he's pinching in which is not something he was comfortable doing so you could see you know as these points kind of come and he's as he's playing his own game this year he's feeling a lot more confident and it looks much better on Zaitsev. That's one of the biggest positives, uh, one of the biggest takeaways from this first five games, because it's scary looking at, on paper, looking at this decor. I mean, really outside Thomas Shabbat, before the season, you're looking at this and you're saying there's huge problems on that right side. And if Nikita Zaitsev can, he's not going to sustain his point total, like you said, but if he could sustain this level of playing, just being consistent like he has so far, that's a huge plus, a huge unexpected plus for the right side of the decor and one that they desperately do need to stay even afloat in the North Division. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even just going forward too, you know, again, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't, if he comes crashing down, it wouldn't shock me. But, you know, just what I'm seeing is is helping. Because, you know, as you mentioned, his advanced stats are off the charts. Like, he's got an expected goals for four percentage of 61.66, which leads all sense defensemen as one of the best in the league so far. And, you know, again, these are real noisy 55, uh, five, or sorry, five games into the year. But he has an offensive zone start of 42%. So it's not like they're just sheltering the hell out of him. It's like he's actually playing well. And it's the same with Corsi 4. He's at 52.94, which is second among sense defensemen defenseman Mike Riley is the only one better than that actually um and you know it's one of those things where that's a huge gap between his Corsi four and his expected goals and, and that'll come back down but if he's even a 50 percent expected goals player and Corsi four player that is just and in a second pair role that is so much more of a step up than what we saw in past years where he was around 46 45 you know just getting shelled every time he was on the ice and you know uh, the difference between four or five percent doesn't sound like much but when you count a factor in that it's hundreds and hundreds of shots over the course of a year it is a big difference and you know so so yeah, I'm optimistic to see where this goes because, um, you know, his stats look good, but yeah, he just, he's not doing anything flashy, but that's quite okay. Because, you know, uh, last year, the, the way I always compared Nikita Zaitsev was it's a death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, like he just, he made a little, a bunch of little things where it's like, why are you doing that, man? Like just losing his man in front of the net or just a lazy stick check or a bad clearing or something like that. But this year, it's just like, I, I'm seeing him make more calm, more controlled plays. And, you know, if that is something that continues, that is a massive improvement for this defense score because, um, you know, even if he gets moved past on the defense score, having a guy on your second or third pair who you can actually rely on to go give you minutes is such a big thing. So, yeah, like, I, I'm just, um, I'm really interested to keep an eye on it because, um, 
you know, the, the, the numbers for this defense core have, have varied quite a bit. And Zaitsev being at the top is not someone I would have expected. Absolutely. And, you know, on the subject of positives, um, we wouldn't do this show justice if we didn't talk about Nick Paul, because Nick Paul ha- is another player that sort of came in and looks like he redefined his game. I mean, his skating ability, I don't remember him being that fast last year. I don't know about you, but he is looking like he's moving real quick out there. But his decision making, his ability to cut to the middle offensively, like I, I didn't see this stuff consistently last year. There was a stretch of games last year where I thought Nick Paul was really good. And I thought he was kind of on the bubble of being a top six player. But he's been arguably he's been Ottawa's very best player this season. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think I think there's still an argument for Kachuk. I know Kachuk doesn't have the points, but he's been dominating five on five when he's out there. But uh, I think he's got a. I don't think you can put him lower than third or fourth for especially Ottawa's best forwards this year. You know, maybe players in general. Um, his his underlying numbers aren't strong through five games, and that's funny because like I'm literally going through right now trying to figure out if he got just shelled in a game or something that really really um, hurt him because like every game he's been noticeable out there, you know, and I'm wondering if it's this one Winnipeg game where everyone got killed because everyone got killed in that game, you know? And, um, but yeah, like he's been amazing. And um, it's one of those things where he's definitely a noticeable difference, but there's also some things where it's like, I think we did see this from Nick Paul in years past, but he was playing on a fourth line with guys who just weren't really good. So he couldn't show any of it, you know, and he's definitely, there's no lie that he's taken a step up in his game. You know, this Nick Paul wasn't there. Like this Nick Paul legitimately some nights looks like he could fit in a top six. And it's like, like there's talk right now, if he keeps this up, he's probably going to be protected when the Seattle expansion comes. And that is something that I legitimately had no, no thoughts of on my radar at all. If you would have asked me even two weeks ago. Right. So um, there's definitely been a step up, but it kind of reminds me of just like, yeah, like two years ago, he was clenching his stick and just playing like he was scared to make a mistake because he was, because he was in Guy Boucher's doghouse. If he made a single mistake, he was getting sent down. He was getting scratched. And, and the guy that really reminds me of right now is Christian Willan and with, uh, with DJ Smith and even to an extent, Colin White, where it's like, yeah, they don't look awesome, but like he, like if you're, if you know, you're going out there and one mistake that might not even be your fault, but the coach views it as your fault is getting you scratched. How much confidence can you play with? And now with Nick Paul, it's like the perfect example where we're seeing a guy who, you know, under DJ Smith, Smith has let him go. You know, last year he, he, I think he, you know, he got a bit of a shot, not as much, but this year, you know, Smith really seems to like him. He's playing on that third line and the, the checking line, I think, if you will. And he's, excel past I think even like and my expectations and you know like I was pretty high going on in the Nick Paul going into this year you know I thought he was a, a really good bottom six who was pretty responsible defensively and and I'll chip in here or there you know I, I thought he was an ideal fourth liner he is just like from the eye test name he's just looked so much better than that Lucy. like he has legitimately looked like a top six guy and you know you you hit the nail right on the head where you said you know positivity if there's something to be positive about Nick Paul's got to be right up there with the, the first things you say yeah absolutely and I mean you know jumping on that as well that whole top line I mean that's that's got to be the most positive I guess the most positive thing because that really is what's going to dictate the senator's future here so to see all three of those guys work so well together in Kachuk and Norris and Batherson I mean, that's, to me, that's the ultimate positive because the the fact that they're able to control play 
And the oldest player on that line is Drake Batherson at 22 years old. That really is suggestive of this rebuild, perhaps, you know, working out in the future. And you need a lot more than one line, but that's a start. Yeah. Well, and it's, it also is just like, yeah, again, as he said with the future and it's like, I wasn't sure what Drake Batherson was going to be coming into this year, but again, he looks like a legitimate top six forward, maybe even a first line winger. And if he is an actual like top, it doesn't need to be like a Pasternak first line winger where he's top five or anything, but if he is a top 30 winger in this league, like that is just so, so big for this team because it's just something that they, they really desperately need. You know what I mean? Like even a top 60 would be huge, but like, just the fact that he is showing that there's a legitimate future there. And, you know, he looks like he could be a stud, you know, like he might be, uh, I'm not going to know. He, he probably won't be Pasternak level. No one really is. But if he's like a, a William Nylander level, you know, where he's scoring you 60 points or whatever a year, 60, 70, you know, Nikolai Ehlers is someone we saw a lot. If, if he's like that, or even a step down, I really don't think that's a big deal. You know, that is, but it's so huge to know because going into this year, he looked amazing in the AHL. All the potential was there, but anytime he played in the NHL, he just, he struggled to produce, you know, underlying and actual numbers. So to see him grow like that and, you know, Josh Norris, I think has looked a lot better over the last couple of games and we'll keep an eye on his development because it's been up and down this year so far. But, um, you know, again, even if Josh Norris shows that he looks like he could probably be a, a reliable 2C going forward, that is just such good knowledge to have. And, you know, it, it's really encouraging for the Sens team going forward, as he said. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I don't believe we'll ever get through an entire episode of any Send show without mentioning Tim Stutzla. Um, we've only seen two games so far, um, so there really isn't a whole lot to, to ride on. But uh, the fact that he might return tonight has got me energized and excited for this game. And I haven't seen anything come out yet. I did see Michael Haley got sent back to the taxi squad. So Stutzla is at least initiated on the roster, but we don't know if he's going to be playing. Uh, what what do you make so far of the two games you've seen out of Tim Stutzla? Yeah, I've liked it. Um, you know, that was exactly where I was going to go next too. So it's, we're on the same page here and I'm loving yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it sucks that we didn't get to see him at all against Winnipeg, but, um, you know, so far in his two games, I thought he's looked good. Obviously his goal was unreal. Um, and he just, he didn't look like he was trying to do too much in his first couple NHL games, which, you know, I, I feel like, uh, can happen to players at sometimes, you know, like um, I, I've watched a couple of the Rangers games and Lafreniere looks pretty good, but he's just kind of clenching his stick a little, a little too hard at times, I think as well, but, you know, and he's been unlucky, um, you know, his goals will come, but um, you know, we see even with a guy like Drake Batherson last year or two years ago, when he, when he got his couple shots, it just early last year, he just, he didn't look like he belonged in the NHL. It looked like he was trying to do too much. He was overthinking things. And I haven't seen that at all from Stutzla. So, um, yeah, I, I really do hope that he draws in the lineup tonight. Um, there is the possibility that Michael Haley was just sent back to the taxi squad so they don't have to pay an extra NHL guy because um, there's no point in having 23 if the rest of the guys are going. Like, you know, just cue the cap space. And, you know, maybe it's Galchenyuk heading back in the lineup. But um, we also haven't heard anything on Cedric Paquette, who left uh, Saturday's game injured either. I've seen no update on him. So, um, yeah, though I'm, I'm looking right now to see if uh, Smith has said anything or not, but I haven't seen anything. But, um, you know, I, I think 
I mean, it goes without saying having a top three pick in the lineup makes your team a lot more exciting than not. Um, but, you know, like uh, it's Stutzel's already looking like just through the first two games that we've seen, just even when he's not scoring or producing or anything, just the little things he's been able to do so far has really, really impressed me. And, um, you know, I hope that he can be back in the lineup uh, tonight or at the very worst Wednesday, because, you know, just adding him back just makes the game so much more enjoyable to watch. Absolutely. Especially when it's at 10 PM. I mean, <laughs> you know, yes. you're going to stay up that late, at least uh, if we can have Stitzley in to take us out of our seats or our beds <laughs> at that point, uh, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I feel the same way. I think, uh, you know, I, I've seen him hesitant in that first game as anybody would be. And I think a lot of Senators players were nervous in that first game against the Leafs. And they kind of progressively got better throughout the duration of that game. And I think Stitzel has been the same on a larger scale, like on the two game sample that we've seen, I think his confidence has grown rapidly and quickly and he doesn't look out of place. You know, that's the the one thing I would say, you know, you alluded to Drake Batherson where he did look out of place at the start of last year. Stutzla at 19 years of age, he just turned 19. He does not look out of place. He's actually the youngest player, active player in the NHL. So, I mean, that's a huge feat in itself. And uh, if he could, just, you know, quietly kind of produce and make an impact. I think that's enough for this year. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him come back. Yeah, me too. I mean, it goes without saying that, you know, just adding one of your top picks makes things exciting, but, you know, especially when, you know, the top pick has looked really, really good over, or, you know, pretty good. I, I shouldn't say really, really good. You know, there's stuff he's got to work on too, but just for your first two NHL games, I no one's going to be complaining that those are your first two NHL games. And uh, the other guy I wanted to kind of pick your brain on a little bit is um, Alex Galchenyuk. He, he drew into the lineup, uh, scored a rocket on the power play, just a laser beam, you know? Um, it was like Mike Hoffman-esque is out. Like, I haven't seen anyone shoot a puck at Ottawa since Hoffman did it like that. Um, I thought played pretty well, you know, looked good. Um and then draws right back out of the lineup after. And I just, I don't, again, I'm not going to go after Smith, whatever. Like I, I more just want to analyze what, what we've seen from Yelchenyuk here, because you know, the, the one odd thing I, I will say is whatever, if you want to rotate him in and out, that's fine. But I, I don't see how he's a healthy scratch one night, but then good enough to play in the top six, the next, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. It's, you know, like if he, I think he has the play to play in the top six, but I honestly think he could play in a third line role if you asked him to more than, you know, and maybe he can't, but I at least let, like to see him get a shot. But, you know, what, what was your opinion of Galchenyuk when he actually did get the chance to play? You know, in that first game, I thought he was in that first game. I thought he was arguably the Senators best player on the ice. Like he looked phenomenal offensively. Um, I think he generated three or four shots. He missed the net a couple of times. Like he had a lot. He was buzzing offensively, he had a lot of chances. Uh, and I thought he looked really good. Obviously, that one timer was probably a one-timer that only he could do on this roster. Um, he has that kind of shot. He's a former third overall pick. I mean, he's a highly skilled player. You get the sense early, and you mentioned this with Christian Willanen, but you get the sense early with Galchenyuk that DJ Smith just doesn't trust him. Um, he took a couple of questionable penalties that, you know, he, he just had a bit of a hook in on the hands. And I thought that second game that he played, because he did get a back-to-back -back opportunity, in that second game he played, he didn't look nearly as effective offensively. Um, there was a couple of times where he, he wasn't necessarily lazy. I won't, I won't go that far and say he was lazy, but the back check wasn't as strong as it could be. Um, and I noticed, you know, just a couple little things where 
Um, you know, that's, that's a guy like Galchenyuk who has that track record of not being the most reliable player. He, he got scratched because of that. Would I like to see him play over someone like Cedric Paquette and Cedric Paquette be the scratch? Absolutely. Because I think what Galchenyuk brings is so much more potentially, um, to what Ottawa really needs, which is some kind of offense other than the top line of Kachuk, Norris and, and Batherson. So I think Galchenyuk can provide that with some inconsistency, but he can at least provide that. Um, I would like to see him stay in the lineup for an extended period of time personally, even if Tim Stutzla draws into the lineup. And maybe at some point you put those two players together and see what you have with uh, with a line with Dadnov. I know Galchenyuk hasn't played center in a few years. Tim Stutzla, obviously, same thing, and he's very young. They want to ease him into that role if, if ultimately they turn him into a center. But, uh, but I think one of the two players is capable of at least playing it for a short period of time. Yeah, I think that's an extremely fair assessment. You know, we, it feels like we kind of saw how Galchenyuk's career has been defined so far. You know, like the one night we saw all the potential. He looked amazing. He had a rocket on the power play. Uh, the next night, I agree. He, he looked, you know, rather invisible. And, uh, you know, the thing that... Um, I'm not saying he had a great game the second game by any means, but, um, you know, again, you also nailed it with like him versus Cedric Paquette. It's like, okay, they both took a stupid penalty in the game. Um, the only difference is I trust Galchenyuk to go get a goal. I don't know. I don't, I just, I don't see the added value that Paquette has. And I just, I don't know. I I feel like a broken record. So I'm I'm really trying not to rip on him as much, but it's like, man, like he's really just like the new Tom Pyatt, you know, where it's like, he just, he, for whatever reason, he needs to be in the lineup. He gets moved up and down, like, even though he really probably shouldn't be. And it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I just, I, I don't get it. And, you know, um, for Smith, he seems to be okay with just doing the same kind of thing here. And, um, you know, if you were dominating games and you were one, three and one, or um, you weren't dominating games, but you're three and two or whatever, I might understand it, but you're one, three and one. And, you know, a couple of the games have looked good. Uh, one, one or two of them have not looked good. And one of them has been just kind of meh. Um, so I, I don't really understand the whole thing of stick to the plan here when, when the plan is, it's not the greatest thing I've ever seen. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, but you know, I, I, I agree with you that I, I think um, getting Yelchenik in for a bigger look would look better. And um, you know, the thing is too, like it kind of goes with Colin White. If you could get them both in this lineup, you know, again, I'm not the biggest Austin Watson fan, but Galchenyuk, White, and Watson is so much better of a fourth line than uh, Paquette and Nisimov Watson is. And, you know, and then you at least give Galchenyuk and White a guy that can help each other out because, you know, when Colin White's in this lineup, he, he's been with Paquette and Watson. It's like, no offense, but what do you expect him to produce with those guys? You know, like they're going on the ice for about eight minutes at a time to just try not to get absolutely shelled in their own end. And, there's no way they're going to produce much offense on the other way. So I, I just, I think I'm a big um, guy on the philosophy of play better players deep in your lineup and you can play the deeper your lineup more, you know? And, and I really think that with the players like Gelchenyuk and white or Philip Schlappick is another name that I want to see, get a look at some point, you know, just names like that. If you put them all in your lineup at the same time, you don't have to be worried about them not playing with the guys because they're playing with other guys with skill. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And and if a line, let's say offensively is just not having a night, then it gives you at least some other options there for another line to kind of step up and, you know, produce, you know, secondary scoring is so important in this league. And really the Ottawa Senators haven't really dressed consistently dressed a lineup with enough secondary scoring to take the pressure off 
the 22-year-old, 21-year-old, and 20-year-old in Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson. So yeah, to me, you have to at least approach it that way. And I think moving into the Vancouver series, they don't have as heavy of a team as a team like Winnipeg. And you can exploit their D a little bit more. So I do kind of think that DJ Smith, and and I could be wrong, is going to go with a more I, I hope he does. So I really hope to see guys like Colin White, who needs to be in the lineup every day, especially with the contract that he's been given. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk should be in the lineup every day because he's more skilled than a lot of the other options. And you mentioned it, but uh, Philip Schlappix, you know, he's a solid defensive option for the Senators. He might be one of their best defensive centers, and he hasn't drawn into the lineup. And he by all accounts, had a terrific training camp. I mean, in that scrimmage, if I'm not wrong, he scored like two or three goals. Um, and, you know, uh, from Ian Mendez, conversations that I've had with him, he, he's looked very good. So um, some of these inexplicable roster moves, you want to see them stop here against Vancouver. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, Haley being sent down to the taxi squad, I think is a, a good sign of that so far. And, um, you know, I, I can definitely see why uh, Smith probably should be going with the thought that, you know, this Vancouver team, they're a little quote unquote softer. Um, and, you know, they you should be loading up with more skill to try and beat them. You know, I think you probably should be loading up with skill no matter what, but um, definitely against the Vancouver versus Winnipeg team here. And, you know, so I'm excited to see what they can bring because again, like, this is a Vancouver team, and I feel like I said this against Winnipeg, but this is a Vancouver team that uh, has really struggled. You know, Montreal just, they kicked their teeth in this past week, and they're feeling it right now. And, and uh, you know, so it, it's a chance for Ottawa, I think, to, you know, grab onto that and get some points here. But I, I'm sure Vancouver's looking at the same way. It's like, we got the Sens rolling through town now. Now's the time to bounce back. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how the two teams respond to um what overall was not a great week for either of them. You know, this is the uh, sixth and seventh place team in this division, which I'm really sure the NHL is happy that it's their only game on tonight and one of <laughs> two on on Wednesday. But I, I think that's kind of more on them. But it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because, you know, this is um, I, obviously any series is going to be a big one. But, you know, when you can have the potential either way, I think to really take six points Honestly, like if you, if we came out of it, Ottawa went three and zero, or or Vancouver went three and zero. I I wouldn't even be that surprised. But you know, that's a that's a killer series or a really big bounce back series for either team here. Absolutely, and and for those of us paying attention to these underlying numbers, um, Vancouver has given up the worst goals against per game so far at four point seven one, and Ottawa the second worst at four goals even per game. So uh, I'm expecting a two to one game. <laughs> because, yeah, I was just saying, you know, yeah, logic that's what would happens say every open, time. But yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it just happens every time. We're we're expecting like a six to five OT game, and we're gonna be in for a snooze fest, and it's gonna be like two to one. But uh, but if we're looking at this series, um, you know, one player that really stands out who hasn't produced so far from a Vancouver perspective is Elias Pettersson. So if I'm Ottawa, I'm Super aware of that um, because you know it's just a matter of time when you have a player that's that talented. He's got two points so far through, I think they've played like seven games. So um, that is not by any means a good start for Vancouver. Um, so Ottawa should really, really game plan around shutting him down. And uh, I like their chances if they can do that. But I think Patterson is so good that uh, he's not going to be shut down for much longer. 
Yeah, exactly. That's been one of the biggest storylines to start this year is that it's not even that he's just been unlucky either. He just he hasn't looked good. He has not looked like the Pedersen we've known for the past couple of years. And, um, you know, Vancouver needs him to be, uh, frankly. Like, they don't have the depth scoring. They they let Toffoli go, who who went back and torched them this week. I, he had, <laughs> I think it was five goals and three assists in three games against them this week. And it was like, yeah, that, that is one that uh, definitely didn't look very good. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because Vancouver is currently – um, 30th in expected goals and they're pretty low in Corsi as well and again part of that is just small sample when uh, you know you get dominated by three games by a Canadian team that looks pretty good so far um, it, it obviously you're going to be pretty low but um, this is really a potential for Ottawa to you know have a bounce back game here and you know they're they're uh, they've been out in Winnipeg and I'm assuming they've probably been in Vancouver for a day now so you know hopefully the time change doesn't affect them too much but this is really a series where it's like yeah if if you can shut that keep shutting down Pedersen like he's been shut down this year um this is one of the few times where if you play a skilled lineup i really think that ottawa's depth is going to at least be able to match if not overcome what vancouver's is and there's not a ton of teams that you know you can say about that in the north division right now so uh, it's a really good opportunity and i I think it should make for some good games here you know i'd be pretty disappointed if there was three just absolute stinkers from the ottawa senators perspective this week yeah, and when we kind of focus on Ottawa's liabilities when it comes to looking at their D on paper, it really is the same thing for this uh, young blue line in Vancouver. I mean, Quinn Hughes is off to a, uh, another good start when you look at his offensive numbers, but his defensive play, it's been a, a bit of a hole there for Vancouver. So if you can exploit that a little bit, if you're Ottawa, you know, you could definitely win puck battles against him. He's not quite NHL strong yet. Uh, and Tyler Myers is another one who just, you know, consistently struggles defensively. So there's a couple of uh, places that you can target if you're Ottawa uh, in terms of, you know, planning your attack and targeting those guys. And if you can enter with some speed and some strength, I look at guys like Nick Paul, who has a bit of a combination of both right now. Brady Kachuk, obviously, you know, he'll be hard to move away from the front of that net. And then the goaltending struggles, you know, Demko hasn't found his game as a true number one goalie yet. And they brought in Holtby to kind of help alleviate some of that. And it just hasn't worked out in any way for, uh, for that duo for Vancouver. They've really struggled when you look at the numbers. So there's definitely some areas to exploit a lot more than there was in a series with Toronto and Winnipeg. So I'm really excited about uh, potentially earning some points here. Yeah, this is a team that's reeling right now. You know, they uh, they have one extra point on Ottawa despite playing two extra games, which uh, is not the point you want to be, I think, if you're Vancouver right now, which, you know, because, you know, as many times as today we've said it's early, uh, you know, seven games for Vancouver in a 56-game schedule is 12.5% of their schedule already. So, like, you're you're really getting close to already one-fifth of the way there. And, you know, in, in such a shortened season, it's really going to creep up on you. There's there's no way that you can afford to start 14 games down in the hole. And, you know, again, like, if you're Vancouver and you drop two or three to Ottawa, it's like, well, your schedule is probably not getting much easier than that because this is the only team that, you know, going into the year, people said uh, is very clearly lesser than the other ones. And for Vancouver, you have Winnipeg, then Montreal twice, then the Leafs three times, then the Flames four times in a row. So, um, you know, that's an ugly schedule right after three from Ottawa. So I'll be really curious to see what happens. Um, The only other thing I want to get your thoughts on, and I know this isn't Sens related, but uh, because we're playing them so much in the North Division, huge trade this week, Patrick Laine for uh, Dubois, Laine and Roslovic for Dubois in a third. Um, What are your thoughts on the trade? And just, you know, do you think Winnipeg got uh, an easier or harder team to play against with uh, Dubois for Laine? 
Yeah, I think it's uh, first off, it's a good trade. I think it's it's nice. I when you're trying to trade a, a top player, and we know all about that, unfortunately. Um, it's nice when you could find a match like that and a, a bit of a marriage, if you will, where you know both teams are getting top players uh, in that deal. So you're getting a young goal scorer in line A who hasn't quite fit in with the culture and what they're trying to do. Um, so for Columbus, that's that's a big improvement. And we can't forget about Jack Roslovic either, because I think that's a subtle, nice piece in there too. And someone who has Columbus ties. So uh, that's a nice fit for Columbus. I think they got uh, an exceptional return for Dubois. But I do think Dubois is a very, very solid um, 1A center probably on their team because if you're looking at the, the structure of their team right now, I, I would think Mark Shifley will stay um, their number one center. But Pierre-Luc Dubois has a number two. I mean, it only makes things more complicated for Ottawa having to face you know the Jets and now having a number one center and a number one A center uh, coming in, it, it's tough when that is the glaring hole that the Senators have. Uh, as far as the trade goes, I think it was a really nicely done trade. Like I, I can't see a much better trade uh, for both sides. It, it's two players again that didn't like the scenery. You know, was it John Tortorella with Dubois? We'll never know that stuff until they're retired and they tell the stories later on. But uh, you could make heads or tails of, you know, whatever it is. I think they're quality players. I think uh, Line A is one of the top scorers in the league as a, as a really young player. Pierre-Luc Dubois, he had an excellent playoff. And I think that small sample, people gave him a lot of credit for. I think uh, he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong. His defensive numbers are great. His, um, his offensive numbers are great. His underlying numbers are very, very good suggestive that he could be a number one center very soon uh, in the NHL and on some teams he would obviously be their number one option right away Um, there's no sour grapes if you're a Sens fan because if you look at the price that uh, Winnipeg had to pay to land Dubois you couldn't come close to matching it unless you want to see you know Brady Kachuk or Tim Stutzla in a Columbus jersey there's there's really nothing to complain about if you're Ottawa but, uh, but it, it definitely presents a different challenge. I mean, you, you don't have line A to kind of snipe some goals from the wing, but you have Pierre-Luc Dubois on, the, on that second line. And it gives the uh, Jets a lot more versatility when it comes to the center ice position. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I think with Dubois, um, I, I feel like he probably did get a little overrated this summer, you know, just with um, – um, because of the bubble and, you know, playing in Toronto and in the spotlight, there's going to do it. But yeah, I, I think he's a one C in terms of, he, he's kind of reminds me of what Kyle Turris was here for a lot. Like he's the 25th ish best centerman, I would say in the league at 22, he's still got room to grow. So that could get better. But uh, Winnipeg was a great spot because Shifley's ahead of him, you know? So now I, I think you have Shifley who's in the 15 ish range, probably in the league, you know, somewhere around there. And then you have uh, Dubois who's, you know, a really, really, really good two C, you know, there's, I, I'd say he's probably top three in the league of two C's. You know, I think you probably put like someone like Tavares and maybe still Malkin ahead of him, but uh, that list gets pretty short after that, you know, there, there's not too many names. So I, I think from, from Winnipeg standpoint, it's pretty good. And I, I think, as you said, it's, it's good for both teams that it's really tough to, to not get fleeced when you have a star who wants out. And I think for, for Winnipeg, you're, you're playing the smart game in terms of, you know what you're getting. You're getting a 22 year old who is already a one C he might grow a little bit, but you know, his cap is probably, he's going to be between the 15th and the 30th best centerman for a number of years to come. And that's a great thing to have for uh, Columbus. It's high risk, high reward because you know, 
there's a chance that Patrick Line is a 30-ish goal scorer. And if that's the case, you really lost out on this trade. But there's also a very decent chance that he is a 45-50 goal scorer and a perennial guy who makes a difference. And, and if that's the case, you know, it, it's hard to say you really lost this trade too. And, you know, Roslovic's an interesting piece in it because he really struggled in Min- or Minnesota, in Winnipeg. But I'm interested to see if playing in a torch-like system can help uh, upgrade his numbers and make him into a, a useful bottom or middle six kind of guy. And I think he will get a little bit more of an opportunity in Columbus. Um you know, then he, then he would have got in, in Winnipeg. I know ice time was a big concern of his. So um, yeah, you know, I, I thought it was overall a, a pretty good trade, all things considered, you know, just when I, it's, it's really hard, you know, we see with Mark Stone, when, when teams know that you're going to get rid of a guy, it's really hard to really kill the return unless you're, especially if you're not just betting on futures like Ottawa did with uh, the Carlson trade, right? Like that, that's ended up really well, but it was because Ottawa just bet on a ton of futures. You know, it's, it's really hard to get like a, a one for one kind of deal. That's not Hall for Larson or, you know, that, that kind of idea. Right. So um, yeah, I think overall um, it's going to be a bit more of a pain, you know, seeing, especially because we saw a really good looking Winnipeg team without lining in the lineup. And now it's just like, well, yeah, you didn't even have line A playing and now you add in a Dubois, that's going to suck. But um, yeah, I, I thought overall it was a good trade, but it'll be interesting to see, uh, see Dubois a couple more times this year. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was good. I mean, it's uh, like you said, it's not always easy to work a trade out like that. So many times we've seen uh, Ottawa go into it with the, the player sort of, you know, in that deal and walk away with futures and you know different pieces that you kind of have to wait and see about and like you said obviously the Carlson trade worked out well uh, but you're looking at the Mark Stone trade as you know maybe an example of a trade that uh, didn't work out so well for you but we'll still have to wait and see on that one uh, but it, it, it is hard to imagine that Eric Branstrom amounts to even close to the elite level that Mark Stone is. Yeah, Bradshaw could be a, a, a solid, really, he could be a number two defenseman and you're still just not getting the value that Mark Stone is. He's that good. But uh, I mean, it is what it is, right? You know, and it's uh, sunk cost now. And at this point, you just got to hope that Bradshaw can develop it. And we see that, you know, high potential defenseman that we get. But uh, Derek, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and, and find your work as well? Uh, yeah, so I'm working with uh, New Era Sense for my writing. Um, I'm on the Sens Hour podcast with uh, Shane. Uh, we run that twice a week. And I uh, just recently joined Sens Talk as well. So uh, Brandon Plant. So you can find me at a few different places. I've kind of been uh, busy when it comes to uh, producing some Senators content and material. And uh, yeah, I look forward to interacting with everyone. Thank you so much for having me on, Alex. It was great to finally put a face to, uh, you know, you, you talk to so many people on Twitter and uh, it's nice to finally put faces to those people. and understand that there are real people behind those accounts so uh so it's kind of cool thank you so much yeah no problem absolutely agree and i'll have to have you on uh, later th- this year too when there when there's uh even more to talk about or in the off season sometime but uh yeah thank you so much for joining me and let's, let's hope for some uh some good hockey games this week because you know it's we could use a couple wins in, in sense land that's for sure let's get something out of tonight <laughs> exactly uh th- have a great day thank you so much for joining me Derek. thanks alex take care 
Huge thanks to Derek for joining me. As always, I had a great time and a great conversation with him. I hope everyone else enjoyed it as well. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. Uh, thank you so much for the continued support. It's meant a lot. And uh, if there's anyone you want to hear me have on the podcast or anything you want to hear me talk about, uh, as always, just give me a shout. You know, I, I'm always looking for feedback, looking for new ways uh to, to improve and for other people to talk to. So, uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. And, uh, I think the next episode will be coming at you Wednesday because, uh, the, the series goes till Thursday and then Ottawa has a day or two off and they'll be right back at it against Edmonton. So, uh, yeah, this coming weekend is when I'll hit you up again and uh, we'll talk to you all then.